Why are you here? Kind of a different way to begin a sermon on a Sunday morning. Why are you here? I hope it's okay for me to ask that question. And I hope that you understand what I mean when I do ask that question. I'm not asking that in some kind of abstract, philosophical, kind of why are we here sort of way. I mean it quite literally. Why are you in this building today? What was the thought process in your decision to be a part of this assembly this morning? I must tell you that in some ways I wish that I actually wasn't preaching right now. Instead, I wish this was more of a kind of a Bible class format because I would be genuinely interested to hear from you. I would be interested to hear what your answers are to that question. In fact, if we were to just hand out right now a bunch of 3 by 5 index cards and at the top of that card we wrote the words, I go to church because... How would you finish that statement? Someone would maybe say, well, Josh, I'll tell you, we don't go to church. We are the church. Thank you, Mr. Smarty Pants. I get that. I understand that. I trust that you understand that, and I trust you realize that I'm using that expression accommodatively this morning. We understand what people mean when they say, I'm going to church. What do they mean? They mean, I'm going to the assembly. I'm going to worship, okay? Why do you do that? Why are you here? If you had to write down on that index card your top five reasons as to why you come to church, what exactly would you write down in those spaces? Well, of course, in an audience of this size, the answers would vary from person to person. But I do think that there are some answers that there would be just some overlap on just about everybody's list. Some things that would be common in everybody's responses. For example, many of us would write on the very top line, we'd write, I go to church because I want to worship God. That seems like a pretty great reason, doesn't it? To come to church, to be in this place on a Sunday morning. I want to worship God. In fact, that might be the consensus number one answer. We might follow that up by saying, well, I go to church because... Because I want to remember and honor Jesus. And that makes sense especially on a Sunday, doesn't it? Because in just a few moments, what are we going to do? We're going to stop everything and we're going to remember Jesus. We're going to commemorate His death, burial, and resurrection in the partaking of the Lord's Supper. Somebody else might add to that list by saying, Well, I go to church because I kind of like the people down there. I enjoy being with Christians. And that certainly should be the case. Our relationships with one another in Christ Jesus, they are critically important. They are foundational to the very life of a local congregation. That's a great reason to go to church. I'd like to think that we'd have some folks here in this good assembly who would probably write down as well, I go to church because I like to learn the Bible. And you know what? Whenever you come through those doors into this building, that need is always going to be met. That can't be said of every place that has church on on the front of their building. But here... We take seriously the responsibility to preach and to teach the Word of God. And so it should come as no surprise that there would be some folks who would say, that right there, that's the reason that I come. I like studying the Bible. And then maybe somebody would wrap up that list by saying, well, Josh, at the end of the day, it's just a command. I go to church because God says I need to go to church. I go because I believe it is the Lord's will. And that is absolutely true. God expects us to assemble with the saints. 
Which means that we ought to feel compelled to be here every time those doors are open. Now, generally speaking, does that seem like a list that would be fairly representative of the things that you would write down on your particular list? I'll tell you, that's a good list. It's a solid list. In particular, I like the fact that it has God in it. It has Jesus in it. It has the the Bible in it. It mentions uh, other Christians and, and other people. That's a really strong list. But I have to tell you that for all of the good things that could be said about that list, all of the merits of those reasons there, that list suffers from a terribly fatal flaw. Does anybody see it there? This list suffers from an intense pronoun problem. Everything about why this person goes to church begins with whom? It begins with themselves. I go because I want. I go because I enjoy. I go because I like. Now somebody would maybe be very quick to point out, but Josh, it has God on the list. It has Jesus on the list. It has the Bible on the list. Yes, it does. But for all of you who are English majors, I was an English major in college for a short period of time. Those are what you would call the direct objects in the sentence. They are only there because they relate to the subject. And the subject in each of those statements is who? It's the big I. It's me. And I want to say this morning that 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 can be problematic. In fact, I think that may explain why church attendance seems to be such a struggle and such an issue for so many congregations all across this nation. I happen to think that here at Lakeside, we're particularly strong in that category, the idea of church attendance and the the faithful attendance of our members. Something we can always improve in and do better in, but I happen to think that we do quite well, particularly in comparison to so many other congregations. Many churches today struggle with attendance issues. And one of the reasons for that, I believe, is this I mentality. You just think about it. If I am here this morning... Simply because I want to worship God. Well, what's going to happen this evening at 6 o'clock if my want to isn't working? What's going to happen? Yeah, that's right. I'm probably not going to come back. Because when everything is filtered through the grid of what I want, what I enjoy, what I like, then when something more appealing happens to come along, maybe a really great TV show, Maybe sports and ball games. Maybe just sleeping in and getting a few extra winks. Then all I have to do to justify myself is to inject just one little word right in the middle of all of those statements. And what is that word? It's the word don't. I don't want to come back and worship God this evening at 6 o'clock. I don't feel like coming on Wednesday night to study and learn the Bible. I don't want to get up early on a Sunday morning to come here and to remember Jesus. The danger here is that we end up turning this idea of going to church into something that is very, very subjective. Where what I want, what I like, what I enjoy, that becomes the deciding, motivating factor. That is not what faithful New Testament Christians were about in Bible times. Would you open up your Bibles to Acts the second chapter, please? In Acts chapter 2, good morning, I need to say that. Glad to see everybody this morning. In Acts the second chapter, this is the day of Pentecost. And Peter begins this epic sermon that ends up leading to 3,000 people obeying the gospel on that very day. 
Peter begins that sermon not by saying, Hey guys, let me tell you something about you. Let me tell you what you're going to get out of this deal. Let me tell you how your life is going to be so much better by the gospel. No. Look how the sermon begins. Verse 22 of Acts 2. Peter says, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus the miracle worker. Drop down to verse 24. Let me tell you as well about God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 33. Let me tell you about the Holy Spirit who His revelation and His promises are so important to us today. Peter puts the emphasis where it belongs. He puts the emphasis on God and on God's things. So that once the time come for these people to actually become Christians, they would understand firmly, it's not about me. It's not about the big I. That they would build their lives around God instead of trying to build God around their lives. And I think that's most evident there at the end of the chapter. Would you look in verses 46 and 47? In Acts 2 and in verse 46, the Bible says that day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they, those Christians, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47 now. Praising God and having favor with all the people. That, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for. Where the emphasis is not on what I like and what I want and what I enjoy. The emphasis needs to be on God. On God's things and God's people. And that is precisely why this morning, what I am suggesting is I am suggesting that we need, we need a shift. We need a shift in what motivates and fuels our decisions to be here. And I do want to say, before I leave that list, I want to say, that is a good list. Don't anybody misunderstand me. Don't think that you're doing something wrong by saying those things in response to the question of why are you here, why do you go to church? But there is danger there, isn't there? There is a danger. And so what we want to do this morning is we actually want to build a better list. We maybe want to shift these answers down to numbers 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 on our list. And we want to give five better reasons. We want to do some reorganization with some of these very same ideas. And we want to offer five better reasons for why we come here, why we go to church. What we want to do is we want to actually make God the subject. And you and I then need to become the direct objects that relate back to Him and His things. When we do that... Not only will we have renovated our hearts and our minds and our attitudes towards coming to this place, but maybe even for some of us, it may even go a long way in renovating some of our habits. Are you ready for that? I hope you are. Let me share with you five better reasons to come to church. And that all starts with that first one that we had on our original list. We originally said, I go to church because I want to worship God. But how about we change things up a little bit? How about instead we start thinking in terms of I go to church because the Father is worthy of my attention. Just just in the Word, do you immediately hear the difference there in those two statements? I go because I want to worship God. I go because the Father is worthy of my attention. What we have done there is we have shifted the focus and we have put it on the One who truly deserves it. Would you look with me in Acts the 17th chapter, since you're still here in Acts? In Acts chapter 17, 
Paul says some things here in Acts 17 that I think help us to get into this frame of mind. In Acts 17, you'll remember that Paul is preaching in the city of Athens. He is disturbed and he is troubled by the things that he sees in that city. He sees all kinds of, of idols and shrines and things that are set up to, to false gods and to idols. And so Paul gets an opportunity to talk to the Athenians and he says this in Acts 17 beginning in verse 22. Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now I want you to just notice right here, That these are people who Paul says they are religious. They believe in God, but they don't know Him. Their understanding of the true and living God of heaven, it is lacking. And so Paul says, I want to tell you about Him. I want you to know more fully that God. Verse 24 now. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God. Actually, there in verse 27, you could just plug your own name. That you would seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward Him and find Him, yet He is actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Paul says you guys need to see God for who He is. You guys have got God shrunk down to some little shrine over there in the corner. And God is so much greater than that. And I am afraid that sometimes that's kind of how we treat God. We treat Him like He's some kind of shrunken down little image over there in the corner that we go and we visit a couple of hours a week and we offer some things to Him and then we go on our merry way we go back to our lives. Paul says, that, that's not God. He says God is everything. Notice there again, he says, in Him you live. You are animated to move and function by Him. And even that, within you. God has placed an eternal and everlasting soul. It is the God of heaven who orchestrated all of that. He is the creator, Paul says. He is the sustainer, which means He is worthy of my attention. In fact, that's emphasized even more in the next couple of verses. Verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands. He commands all people everywhere to repent. Because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. I'm pressing you this morning. I'm pressing me this morning. To start thinking of the assemblies of the church. Not in terms of do I want to worship God today. But in terms of the gravity and the grand nature of God's worthiness. Paul says He's the Creator. 
He's the sustainer. He says there in verse 30 that He commands things. That means that He is the Lord. And then He says in verse 31, He is the judge. Put it all together. Who is God? God is worthy of your attention, your time, and your worship. And I dare you. I double dog dare you to tell God that He's not worthy of your attention. I dare you to tell God that He's not worthy of your time. I dare you to go home this afternoon and tell the Lord that He's not worthy of an extra hour of your time this evening between the hours of 6 and 7 p.m. I dare you to tell the Lord, Lord, four hours out of 168 hours a week, Lord, that's just too much. One or two hours, that seems like that ought to get it done. That's, that's all I'm willing to give. I dare you to say that to God. And I know that nobody's going to leave here today and is going to actually utter those words. But you know what? When you choose not to be here, when you choose to forsake the assembly of the saints, that time when we come together to blend our hearts and our minds and our voices together in praise and worship and in study, that's exactly what your actions are saying. Your actions are announcing and saying to the Father, Father... You're not worthy of my attention. Which is why we've got to take the focus off of what I want to do or what I don't want to do. And instead, we need to recapture the awesomeness of God. Verse 24, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. I am here today because He is worthy. Let's add another layer to that list. Let's add another great reason. Let's bring the Son now into this conversation. But it's not going to be this idea of I come to church because I want to remember Jesus and I want to honor Jesus. No, let's actually, let's take that up a notch. Let's do a little bit better than that. I go to church because, because Jesus deserves to see my sacrifice. You see, now we're talking in terms of some rubber meeting the road kinds of things. We're thinking in terms of sacrifice. Well, that's a term that doesn't get used enough today. Lots of people, and, and I think maybe even at various times in my own life, that this probably was true, but for lots of people, the idea of going to church, that's really something that's more of a, it's more of just done out of habit. Or maybe just out of comfort and convenience. People go whenever it's easy, whenever it's convenient to go, whenever I've got time freed up in the schedule. But whenever it demands that I've got to sacrifice something, that for me to go down there means I'm going to have to give something else up, ah, that's just taking things a little bit too far. But can I just say right here that maybe, just maybe, Jesus deserves to see us make some sacrifices for Him? That maybe, just maybe, as Jesus sits upon His throne in heaven, that He looks down and He takes delight and pleasure whenever He sees us setting aside a little bit of our time and a little bit of ourselves so that we can come here and remember and honor and worship Him. And unless there is some extenuating circumstances that we will do that regularly, constantly, consistently, and without excuse. I want to submit to you this morning that Jesus indeed does deserve such sacrifices. Would you look in Philippians chapter 2 with me, please? In Philippians chapter 2, I think this is something that we just do well to be reminded of pretty regularly, to think about what Jesus sacrificed 
for us. If we understand what Jesus sacrificed, then the idea of us making some sacrifices, it just follows suit then, doesn't it? In Philippians 2, here's a great passage. Because it highlights not only Jesus' worthiness by virtue of who He is and what He's done, but it specifies those sacrifices. In Philippians 2, look in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, emptied Himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why is Jesus worthy? Because He sacrificed. First of all, He gave up heaven. Left the glories and the riches of heaven to come down here. And then more importantly, He gave up Himself. He gave up His life. And not only did He die, He didn't just die some regular kind of death. He died a criminal's death. He sacrificed Himself, here's the kicker, for us. And with that in mind, did you notice what verse 5 said? Verse 5 then said, Have this same mind among yourselves. That's the point that Paul's trying to make in this passage. That Christian, you need to have the same sacrificial spirit. You need to have that same empty yourself kind of attitude. In fact, if you were to read the verses on top of that, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, those verses are just dripping with the language of sacrifice. That I'm giving myself up for the good of others. The reason that we sacrifice our time and our energy, the reason that we sacrifice for the Lord and for the Lord's people, the reason that we put everything else in our lives on hold and come to this place is to recognize and celebrate the selfless Son of God. We do that because Jesus deserves it. And once again, I dare you. I double, triple dog dare you to insert that word doesn't into that sentence. That Jesus doesn't deserve my sacrifices. I realize nobody's going to actually say that with their lips. But when you choose not to assemble with the people of God, that is what you're saying. You're saying, Jesus, you don't deserve my time. You don't deserve my sacrifices. I have things that I want to do instead. In fact, Paul describes people just like that here in this very same chapter. Look in verse 21. In verse 21 of Philippians 2, he says, They all seek their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. God forbid. God forbid that that verse would ever describe anyone who is a member of this local congregation. You and I must reach the place in our spiritual development where we count it a privilege that we count it just an honor, that we are able to give some things up. Yes, even to give some good things up, maybe some very wholesome and and good activities, but I'm going to give those things up so that I can give Jesus the preeminent position that He holds in my life. 
Well, what else could we add to that list? A second ago about, about our brethren, about the people of God. And on our original lips, we did say that we come to church because, because I enjoy my brothers and my sisters in Christ. That's good, but I don't think that's nearly strong enough. How about instead we go with this? I go to church because, because God's people are entitled to my support. Reminded of a short talk that Brother Ryan gave a couple of months ago, talking about the entitlement culture that we live in. And there is most certainly some real problems with that kind of thinking in the world at large today. But biblically, biblically, your brothers and your sisters in Christ, they are entitled to some things from you. You understand that? When God in His infinite wisdom, when He established the church, He designed it such that regardless of what happens in all of your other human relationships, regardless of what your mother or your father or your husband, or your wife, or your friends, or your co-workers think about your decision to be a Christian, in God's wisdom, He saw to it that you will always, always have a family that you can rely upon and you can count on. That is the family of God. Isn't that a wonderful thought? To be a part of such a group, a group of people who will love you, group of people who will care for you. They might not even know everything about you, but because we are in Christ together, I'm going to care for you and love you, and I'm going to be looking out for your spiritual interests. That is a tremendous blessing to have brothers and sisters who care about you in that way. Brothers and sisters that you can count on. But the question that you need to be asking yourself right now is, is can your brothers and your sisters count on you? It's wonderful to think about all these people that that I can count on. Well, can those people count on you? That is critically important. I have the right, this is going to sound wrong, but it's so true. I have the right to expect that you will be a help and that you will be a support to me simply by virtue of our relationship together in Christ Jesus. Let me show you that in the book of Hebrews to show you that I'm not just making that up. In Hebrews chapter 3, you may be thinking if I announce a chapter in Hebrews and I'm talking about the idea of church attendance, you'd be sure that I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, but I'm not going to that verse today. In Hebrews chapter 3, what is it that makes the church special? What is it that makes this relationship, this spiritual relationship, what is it that makes this relationship able to endure centuries of time? It's able to endure oppressive figures and governments. It's able to endure radical changes and shifts in the culture. I'll tell you what it is. It's that God's people, they are there for one another. Hebrews 3 says so. Hebrews 3 verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ if we indeed hold our original confidence firm to the end. The Hebrew writer says, we are there for each other. That's what makes us unique. And I realize that that passage is not limited to just the encouragement that we receive in these assemblies. But these assemblies are certainly part of that, aren't they? They are a huge part of what Hebrews chapter 3 is talking about. That when we come together, we do encourage one another. We do build one another up. We do learn from one another. We share in a relationship that the world just is never ever going to get. 
And so, what happens? What happens whenever your brother or your sister comes to church and they are looking and they are needing your encouragement? You're not there. What then? They came here. They came to this place. They wanted to escape the world. They wanted to come here. And they were looking for you. They were looking for your smiling face. They were looking for your warm greeting as they came in the door. They were hoping to hear your insightful comments in Bible class. They were hoping to hear your voice blended with the rest of us as we offered praise before the throne of God. They wanted to be encouraged at the sight of your children being brought to church and being taught what's most important. They needed you. In fact, they came here expecting you and you weren't here. Where were you? What were you doing? No, we didn't announce that you were sick. You weren't obligated to work that evening. You weren't out of town somewhere and you were worshiping in another place. No, you just weren't here. The Hebrew writer says, that's not how it works in the family of God. Would you look in Hebrews 10 now? In Hebrews chapter 10, we're still not going to read verse 25. We all know that verse. I am afraid that we have largely misunderstood what that verse is talking about. Because what Hebrews 10 is talking about is a whole lot more than just being in the building. It's about what's happening as we're together in this building. And the verses that lead up to it really emphasize that. In Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us... Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Verse 24, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Not, I'm not going to read that verse. Do you see the momentum that's leading up to verse 25? The momentum is, let us. We're a team. We're a family. Let us hold fast. Let us draw near. Let us consider. Let us encourage. When you start thinking about these assemblies in terms of your contribution to us, that will just change everything about why you come to church. And by the way, I dare you, double, triple, I quadruple dare you right now to look at the person sitting next to you or the person sitting in front of you, or the person sitting behind you, and take that statement and put the word not in the middle of it. That God's people, they're not entitled to my support. Yeah, I see you over there. You're my brother in Christ. You're my sister in Christ. And yeah, we're both trying to go to heaven, but ah, you're not really entitled to what I have to offer you. Don't expect me to be here except for maybe half of the assemblies, maybe a third of the services. You'll just have to go looking somewhere else to find the encouragement that you so desperately need. None of us, surely, none of us would ever have the gall to say that to a brother or a sister in Christ. We'd never say that with our mouths. But you know what? When you choose not to be here, you are most certainly saying it with your actions. And let me just say very personally here, brother or sister, that hurts It does. It hurts when you say that by your actions. In fact, in some ways, I wish you'd just come to me and you'd just say it with your lips. 
Because at least then you'd be a lot more honest. We must come to understand that we are the body of Christ. And each member in the body needs the help and the support that the other members are able to supply to it. Fourthly then this morning, our original list said something about coming to church because because we like to learn the Bible. And as somebody who makes a living trying to teach people the Bible, it's kind of hard for me to argue too much with anybody who wants to come to church because they like studying the Bible. However, we do need a little bit of a shift here. We need a shift in our emphasis. So how about this instead? I go to church. I go to church because the Spirit-inspired Word is the very treasure of my life. We talk about people's treasures. People have all kinds of treasures. And people's treasures are pretty easy to spot and identify because usually those are the things that people talk about the most. It is the subject of many of their conversations. It is the thing that people spend the most time involving themselves with. These are the things that people go do things like buy magazine subscriptions about that treasure. They do all kinds of research and they read on the internet about that particular treasure. They devote maybe entire weekends of their life to be involved in doing stuff with that treasure. They drive long distances to do stuff with that treasure. They spend large sums of money on that treasure. People love their various treasures. What I'm saying to you this morning is that for the Christian, the Holy Spirit is that treasure. And that there is no other thing on this earth that is more important to us than His revelation, the written Word of God. Would you find the book of 2 Timothy now? In 2 Timothy chapter 1, in 2 Timothy, Paul actually says several things about the value of the Scriptures. My class this morning, we spent time in 2 Timothy, and we noticed some of those things. We're probably most familiar with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, talking about all Scripture is breathed out by God and what it's good for. Look in chapter 1, though. 2 Timothy chapter 1, look in verse 13. Paul says to Timothy, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. The gospel. The things that have been revealed by God. Follow those words in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul tells Timothy Timothy, to guard what has been entrusted to him. And he is talking there about the gospel. He's talking about the word of God. And he describes it in the ESV. He describes it as the good deposit. The old King James simply says, the good thing. I like how the New American Standard renders that. It renders it the treasure. Guard the treasure that was entrusted to you. The Holy Spirit gives us this treasure. This treasure that is able to communicate to us and to save our souls. And so, we want this treasure, don't we? We want to know everything about it that we possibly can. We want to explore the depths of this treasure. And we want to know the depths of this treasure, not just for our own benefit, but as well for the benefit of others. Continue on in 2 Timothy. Look in chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me, that pattern of sound words, the gospel, the treasure, the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach 
others also. When the Spirit is the very treasure of my life, then I'm going to want to hear the Word. I'm going to want to learn the Word. I'm going to want to apply the Word. And then I'm going to want to share that Word with others. That means then that the purpose of every Bible class, the purpose of every sermon, the purpose of every invitation talk, the purpose of every gospel meeting, the purpose of every vacation Bible school, the purpose of every one of those things that takes place in this building is to continue on in that great chain of teaching and learning and teaching and learning. I cannot, I cannot for the life of me, see how any Christian could look at that and say, well, that's just, that's just not all that important to me. Uh, there's other things I'm kind of focused on more. That's just really not all that important to me. You know, it's just midweek Bible study. I don't have to be back on Wednesday night. It's just Sunday morning Bible class. I can wait and come at 11. But the truth is, when you choose not to be here, that's exactly what you're saying. You are indicating by your actions that the Spirit-inspired Word of God, that it is not your treasure. That you are not, as you drop on down in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, you are not doing your best. You are not being diligent to present yourself as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of truth. And that is exactly why we need something just a little bit deeper than I like to study the Bible. Listen, folks, I know atheists who like to study the Bible But that doesn't mean that they are approved by God. We need something deeper than that. You and I must reach a point where the Spirit rules within us. And the things that He has revealed through this book, they become the treasure of our lives. When we do that, when we do that, we will have then found the right motivation to be here every time this precious book is being opened. And then lastly this morning, we're seeking to put together a list of some better reasons for church attendance and church participation, the reasons that are that are less about me and are more about others. How about we try this one on for size? I go to church because the world needs to see me choosing God over them. Now you'll notice I did not put that at the top of my list, but it does make my top five. Because this world... And what this world has to offer, and what this world says is important, it's not the truth. And even more importantly, it is not my guide. And I believe that one of the most powerful tools that I have at my disposal is showing the world who and what is really important. And I do that every time that I exercise the power of choice. When I think of choices, I immediately think of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. Joshua challenged the Israelites, Choose you this day who you're going to serve. And then what I'm going to guess was probably one of the most proud moments in his life. Joshua then announced, As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You know what? Throughout your life, you're going to be presented with opportunities To make a choice. To either choose the ways of this world and be just like everybody else, or to choose the ways of God and to serve Him and to do what's right. And chances are, you're never going to have a Joshua moment 
where you're going to get to stand in front of a large group of non-believers and you're going to be holding a megaphone and you're going to be able to say, Hey everybody, I choose the Lord instead of the world. And so what can you do? What can you do to show the world that when an opportunity exists to choose God or to choose them, what can you do that shows them, I choose God. I choose God every single time. Well, how about this? Isn't this a way that you can announce to the world that you choose God over them? How about when you choose the assemblies of God's people rather than the various activities of this world? Have you ever thought about, and as I studied and prepared for this, this is something that really just kind of dawned on me. Have you ever thought about what an evangelistic statement that you are making whenever you say no to some opportunity out there in favor of what we are doing here? In fact, aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that at least, your lakeside, at least three times a week, sometimes more, but at least three times every week, you get to show your neighbors, you get to show your coworkers, you get to show your classmates, you get to show the t-ball coaches and the basketball coaches, you get to show all of those people out in the world that this is more important than anything that they have to offer. You get to choose. You get to choose the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and the family of God over the world. What a powerful statement you have the opportunity to make. But I need to confess here, and maybe you already know this, but that's not always an easy choice, is it? Oh, intellectually, it's an easy choice. Somebody asks a Christian, hey, do you choose God or the world? The Christian, well, duh, we're going to say God every time. But it is not an easy choice always in the follow-through. When it comes time to execute, it's not always easy. And the Lord knows that. The Lord has always known that. Would you find Matthew chapter 6, one final passage this morning? In Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the difficult choices that we must make. In Matthew chapter 6, after saying some things about the treasures of the earth versus the treasures of heaven... Jesus then says in verse 24, Matthew 6 verse 24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Cannot. Cannot serve God in money. Got to make a choice, Jesus says. As tough as it is sometimes, a choice has to be made. There's no straddling of the fence here. There's no gray area here. When it comes to the assemblies of the local church, it pretty much is a black or white issue, isn't it? Either you're here or you're not here. You can't be here and not be here at the same time. It is physically impossible to have it both ways. So what's it going to be? Jesus asked, what's it going to be? What message will you send to a lost and dying world through the choices that you make? The easy choice, the path of least resistance, is to allow all the things the world offers, to allow the constant stream of practices, games, and recitals, or to allow that family who's visiting in on the spur of the moment, and, oh, got to stay and entertain them. Or to allow those tickets that I was given by somebody to that really great UK game, or those tickets to that really great concert that happens to be on a Wednesday night. To allow all of those opportunities to conform us to the ways of this world. To allow those things to determine who we are and where we are. 
but the other path, the path of the godly, the path of the righteous, is whenever you make that choice that the world doesn't understand. And they don't. They don't understand why we're here today. They don't get it. They don't, they don't, they don't process in their mind why we would get up early on a Sunday morning. Sleeping in would be so much better. Why do you people do that? They don't understand this. To make a choice that they do not appreciate and to make a choice that they will never make. But that choice, that choice announces to the world boldly and proudly that I am different. If you drop on down in Matthew 6, verse 33, it announces to the world that I am seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness above everything else. The world needs to see that. The world needs to hear that. And you know what? If I had another 30 minutes or so this morning, I think I could show you just dozens of passages where God says, I want you to show the world that. I want the world to hear that message. We need to realize that our presence and our participation in these assemblies, it is one of the greatest ways, one of the easiest ways in which we can have an influence on a lost and dying world because by doing so, we are making a decisive choice for the Lord. Now I recognize, and I have made it a point not to burden this sermon with all kinds of qualifiers throughout it, but I realize that from time to time there are circumstances that are beyond our control. There's going to be illness. There's going to be illness in the family. Kids are going to throw up as you're walking out the door and it's going to prevent you from being here. There's going to sometimes be work obligations that even to the best of our ability, we're not able to get out of. There's going to be trips out of town and we're going to end up having to worship with other congregations and in other places. I get that. The Lord understands that. That kind of stuff does happen. But you know what? So long as you have a choice, who's it about? I hope this morning that there might be somebody, or maybe even several somebodies, who are having an experience like I had, and an awakening and an understanding that came to me several years ago, where I could feel this needle just coming at me, slowly but surely. The needle just kept coming toward me. It looks like it's going to poke me in the eye. It's not going to poke you in the eye. But this needle that just kept getting closer, and closer, and closer, until... Feel that? What happened was the me bubble got popped. You know about the me bubble, don't you? Me bubble is, well, it's me. It's about my sphere. It's about my stuff. It's about me. And everything else in this world, it has to live around the me bubble. It's got to go. It's got to pop. This needs to be about God the Father. This needs to be about God the Son. This needs to be about God the Spirit. This needs to be about God's people. This even needs to be about the people who are in a lost and dying world. And I, I then need to work around that. Not the other way around. Perhaps there's somebody here this morning who this is maybe one of those moments for you. You're having that popping of the me bubble moment. And maybe you need some help with not only popping that bubble, but keeping that bubble popped. Maybe what you need this morning is we've talked about this idea of being here at these assemblies. And I really consider this just such a base thing. Such an elementary thing for Christians to come to the assemblies of God's people. Maybe you're struggling with that. Maybe you need some encouragement. Maybe you need some prayers this morning. Maybe you even need some forgiveness 
Because for far too long and far too many ways, you have, a, you have chosen the world instead of choosing God and God's things. We're ready to assist you this morning. Brother or sister, we're ready to help you to serve the Lord in a better way. It may be, though, this morning that you need to make, you need to make a choice that you've got to take a few steps back. You're needing to make that first choice. You're needing to make the choice to put Christ on in baptism to have your sins forgiven. Well, good news, we can help you with that as well. And it is very serendipitous. Tom has chosen the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's time to make a choice. Time to make the choice, the decision to follow Jesus Christ. And we stand ready to assist you if that is your need. You simply need to make your way to the front and make those wishes known. Do it right now while we stand and while we sing.